Amen. Appreciate that, men. And uh, tonight we're going to get into the book of Genesis. So I hope you grabbed one of the uh, small booklets out on the table out there. Anybody did not get the notes, raise your hand. want to make sure everybody has one of those. Anybody raise your hand, we'll get you one. Looks like everybody did a good job. One of the ladies was telling somebody this morning, they said, he goes very fast. And uh, we're, we're going to try, with the Lord's help, to get through an entire book and 50 chapters in, in one. We'll be done about midnight, but, uh, but uh, I don't know about that. But uh, you just pray for me as we go through this. It, it is meant to be an overview, and uh, so I hope you do understand there's so much more. There's so many different ways to approach the Word of God. And uh, last year, we went through the 27 books of the New Testament. And so here we go back on Route 66. And again, the, the series because of the 66 books of the Bible. And so as you think about the Old Testament, there's 39 books uh, when it comes to the Old Testament. And the way that we see them uh, divided in our Bible, we see them in certain groupings. For instance, you have the books that are considered the law. Go to the next slide. That's all of the books. There you go right there. This is just the Old Testament books. So notice the ones I would call that orange, I guess is what that is. Those are the books of the law. And then you see uh, next to that, those blue books there. These would be the books of history. And then, then you see the next group of books there, the purple ones. This is the books of poetry. And then you see the ones that, I guess that's maybe magenta, pink, I don't know what that would be. Uh, those are the books of prophecy. And then you see the other ones, you see, uh, or, or excuse me, major prophets and minor prophets. Is, and so the, notice there's less of the major prophet books and more of the minor prophets. Now, I've said this quite a few times. It uh, doesn't mean that the, the uh, smaller grouping, that those prophets were more significant, more important, it was really based on the size, and of course, we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so we see, when we look at our Bible, this is the way that our Bible is laid out. We'll also uh, show tonight and discuss a little bit about the Jewish Bible and how they have the divisions when it comes to the Word of God. But uh, we want to understand the Old Testament as we approach it in our Bibles that we have. Now, in your notes tonight, and I'm just going to kind of follow right along. I'll make some other comments you can fill in. But the subject of the Old Testament, of course, is redemption. That's, that's what it's all about. It's seeing God's redemption, and we see this in many different ways. When I say type, there's a lot of typology. For instance, Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. So uh, understand that when it comes to types, we find we can see redemption in the types. We see it in the promises of God in the Old Testament. We see redemption through prophecy. We see redemption through the Psalms. I love what William Evans said. He says, you can cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. And that's true. Uh, you see the blood of Jesus, uh, God's own precious blood, throughout the entire Bible. We'll talk a little bit about how you see that in the book of Genesis tonight. Now notice the blood of Jesus stains every page, every book in both testaments of the Bible. And we'll, we'll see that a little bit tonight. We'll see it in the days ahead 
on Sunday nights when we get into more of these books. Here's another statement that I liked about Williams, William Evans said this, the atonement is the scarlet cord running through every page in the entire Bible. It is read with redemptive truth. And uh, that I've heard for many, many years that there is a scarlet thread that runs through the entire Bible. And, you know, you think about we as Bible-believing Christians, that when you look back at our history as believers, there's a trail of blood. There has been many people whose lives have been martyred for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And we see the precious blood of God, the entire subject of the Old Testament, really the entire Bible, is redemption. Now, the purpose of the Old Testament is to reveal the person and the work of the coming Redeemer. This is what God has intended. A couple verses here that I want you to see as we think about the person of the Redeemer being revealed and the work that he came to do. Here's a couple great verses. Hebrews chapter number 1, the Bible says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past, the Bible says, notice here, by the prophets. And we see throughout the Old Testament, many of the prophets major and minor prophets saying, thus saith the Lord. But notice, it, the Bible goes on in Hebrews 1 to say, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he, God, hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, and he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on highs. Listen, God could have chosen any way to save us from our sins, but redemption's plan, that's why Jesus said, I am the way. It is Redemption is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We also see in the book of Hebrews, look at verse chapter 9, verse 11, but Christ being come and a high priest, of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. And we understand the difference between us and the Lord is we were created, he was not. God has always been. And the Bible says, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. The Bible says he entered in, how many times? Once. Now you remember in the Old Testament, the priest would go in once a year, right? Year after year after year, Jesus shed his blood one time. One time for the sins of the world. His blood will save those in the past, those in the present, and those in the future. Aren't you glad we're living some 2,000 plus years after the death of Christ and his blood still saves today? And the Bible says here, let's read on. That it says that he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained, I love this, eternal redemption for us. Can I just stop and say, listen, you can't lose your salvation. Eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more? shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And I say amen to that. 
You think about what Jesus has done for us. He is our Redeemer. It is because He shed His precious blood for our sins. And so the purpose of the Old Testament, really the entire Bible, is to reveal the person and the work of our Redeemer. I said it this morning, I'll say it again tonight, you cannot separate the person from the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus went all the way to Calvary, he laid his life down, and it was, listen, not because of anything he had done, but because of what we have done, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When you look at the Old Testament, it's pretty amazing. It's 39 books, 929 chapters, 23,214 verses, 592,493 words, and 2,728,100 letters. Say, Pastor, why do you make such a big deal out of that? Because the Bible says every jot and tittle. Everything in the Bible is important. Make sure that you don't miss one thing God has for us. And the Old Testament is rich with so many things, and we're going to see a beginning of that tonight. Now, notice the next division here. It says the books of the Old Testament, and this is division one, all right? Division number one. What do we got out there? Somebody's flashing lights. <laughs> and so division one. Now, division one is the law, or notice the word here, Pentateuch. How many of you have heard the word Pentateuch before? And so I want you to think about this because the law, the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch actually comes from a combination of two words. The word penta means five. And the word tuk here, or you see the word tukas, means scroll. So it's talking about five scrolls. Now again, it's nice when you think about our Bible. I hold in my hands tonight a real nice leather-bound, slim-line Bible. Man, I bet you Isaiah would be jealous because back in the day they had scrolls. <clears throat> they had large scrolls. Back in the day, <clears throat> the Bible did not come with chapter and verse breaks. You know what that means? They had to know their Bible. Remember the story where uh, Philip is in Samaria and the Holy Spirit of God directs him to the desert and there's a guy coming away, a eunuch, He's coming away from the city, and he's got a, somehow he got in his hands, maybe because of who he worked for, a copy of the Word of God. And he was trying to make sense out of it. The Bible says that, that he joined him in his chariot, and he asked him, he says, understandest what thou readest? And the man's reply was, well, how can I except some man should guide me? And, you know, honestly, I think about that. You know what God wants you and I to do? God wants us to know his Word in such a way that we may not know it all, but we can take it and we can help guide somebody so that the Bible says to guide them in truth. And so this, this man, he was searching. And I love this because when he told Philip where he was at, Philip knew exactly where he was reading from. And we know if we know our Bible, he was reading from Isaiah chapter 53. And so the Bible says, Philip began at the same scriptures and preached unto him Jesus. Now remember, he was in Isaiah 53. The name Jesus is not there. But he knew that it was talking about Jesus who would bear our sins and our iniquities. 
And so he had an opportunity because he knew the scriptures. And that's what you and I must understand, how important it is to know God's word. And so when we think about how, how wonderful it is that we have God's word in a little bit more of a compact form, but guess what? We're still as responsible as Isaiah was in his day, as Philip was in his day, to know the word of God. Now, when you think about this first division here, the law of God as revealed to Moses, is also known as the Torah. This is a word that you see many times among the Jews. It's talking about the written instruction. Now, just like many other religions, there are a lot of, a lot of rabbinical teachings, a lot of things that have been written by Jewish rabbis. But listen, what's most important is the Word of God. And the Bible talks about how God, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means that God gave His Word and it was written down so that we can read it, we can study it. And when you think about the Pentateuch or the law, as we're talking about here, the five scrolls, the Pentateuch, those five scrolls make up the first of the three divisions of the Jewish canon of scriptures. Now, I don't know if you can see that. It looks real small back there. It's larger here. But notice across the top, the three divisions of the Jewish canon of scriptures. You have the section called the law. Then you have the section called the prophets. And then you have the section called the writing. So again, it's not set up exactly the way that we have our Bible today, but we have much the same books. And again, notice here that you see uh, these five books, the first grouping here, the law, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's the beginning of our Bible. And so this is what we're looking at here is the five scrolls that make up the first section that's called the law or the Pentateuch. Now, again, Jews divided the Old Testament into the law, the prophets, and the writings. Sometimes it was just referred to as the law and the prophets, which is what we saw this morning. Jesus dealing with the situation there and just trying to help them understand that he did not come to destroy the law or the prophets, but he came to fulfill it. And so we find here that this is the first division. Now we're going to get into those other divisions, but understand that if Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are the first division, then we're going to go through five books before we get to the next division. And so keep that in mind. Now, notice as we get into the book of Genesis, by way of introduction, the, the book of Genesis is called the book of beginnings. That's really what we're talking about here is the beginnings. And, and again, when you look at your Bible and you see how our Bible is put together, this is the first book in our Bible. Now, that many believe that this is not the oldest book in our Bible. A lot of people believe that the book of Job is the oldest of the books in the Bible, but yet we find this to be the beginning of the first book, uh, first books that were written and known as the Pentateuch or the books of the law. Now, as you think about this, the, the name of the book, it's called In the Beginning by the Jews, and it recounts the beginning of the world and the beginning of mankind. Because when you go to the beginning of it, there was nothing. God created this world out of nothing, which includes everything that's in this world, including mankind. And so God created all things, and we find that in the book of Genesis. Notice the contents of the book of Genesis. It gives us a divinely inspired account of, notice here, direct creation. Now, there's always some discrepancy, and there's, we'll talk a little bit about some of these 
theories of man, but we're dealing with God's Word. We're dealing with the Holy Scriptures, and so that's why we say it is divinely inspired of God. It also deals with Adam's sin, and of course that Adam was the first man, and the disobedience of Adam, and because of his disobedience, uh, the Bible says that, that all men have sinned, that that sin nature is passed down to all of us. It deals with the means of recovery through sacrifice and of the promised seed, which is the Messiah. Where would we be without the Lord? I'll tell you where we'd be. We'd still be lost in our sin. We'd still be bound for a devil's hell. But because God sent his son, God sent the Messiah, the word Christ means Messiah. Notice it also deals, when you talk about the contents of Genesis, it's an account of the state of the spiritual seed of faith in the time of the patriarchs, and we'll look at them in just a minute, both before and after the flood to the time of Joseph, that's where the book of Genesis ends, and we'll, we'll see a little bit about that before we move on next Sunday. Now, the book starts with life, and we find here God created man in his own image. The Bible tells us that God created man, and he breathed into him, and he became a living soul. The book begins with life, but it ends with a coffin. Matter of fact, there's two funerals at the end of the book of Genesis, not only Joseph, but his father. And we find here that the Bible says God created man, but then in Genesis 50 and verse 26, Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, Genesis actually shows, the book shows that God first came down to create. That's how the book begins. God is the creator God. And he first came down to create, and then after he created, he began to do a work of redemption. Now look, it did not surprise God that man sinned, because God knows us. God knows all things. But God knew that man would need a Savior, a Redeemer. The Bible, one of the verses in the Word of God, says that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. See, God knew all along that mankind would need a Savior, so he came first to create. Now, notice this. To create, what did he have to do? He only had to speak. I love that. God spoke this world into existence. I mean, just think about that for a minute. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 33, 9, For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. By the way, how, how did we get his word? The very same way. He spoke his word into existence. So when we see this matter of creating, he only had to speak. But look, to redeem his fallen creatures, he had to suffer. So he had to speak to create. But to redeem, he had to suffer. The Bible says, and I, there's so many verses, Peter writes, for Christ hath also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Do you know there's nothing we can do to get to God? God came to us. God sent his son. We call that Christmas. Notice that Jesus was put to death, and we are quickened by the Spirit. So Christ hath redeemed us. He suffered for our sins. Folks, sometime when you start to think about your life, Go back and read in the Bible the ordeal that Jesus went through for your sins. How he was falsely arrested all night long 
one trial after another. Never opened his mouth, never reviled anyone that reviled him. He was spat upon, beaten, tortured. The Bible says his visage was so marred, you couldn't even tell who he was. Why would he do that? Because he loves us. Every time I start to think about life and how it seems like life's not fair, I go back and think about Jesus and what he went through for me. It might help us from time to time. And when you think about the book of Genesis, I love this. Years ago, I discovered that the seed to all major Bible doctrines can be found in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. I mean, you stop and think about the major doctrines of the Word of God. You think about theology, you think about Christology, you think about uh, pneumatology, the Holy Spirit of God, you think about sin, you think about the doctrine of salvation. Uh, folks, I'm telling you, you find the seed to every one of the major doctrines in the Word of God in the first 11, not the first 50 chapters of the book of Genesis, in the first 11 chapters, there is a biblical approach, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, called the law of first mention. Anybody have heard of that before? So it's kind of a neat thing. Maybe you've never heard of this, but let me mention it to you, and you can maybe spend a little time, and it might even say, well, I'm, gonna, I'm maybe doing some study that way. But what the law of first mention is, when you see something mentioned in the Bible, here's what you do. You go back to where it first appeared. And when you go back to find where it first appeared in the Word of God, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find what God really thinks about whatever that is that you're looking at. It's called the law of first mention. It's a tremendous study. Whatever it is that you're studying, there's some first mentions in the Bible found here in Genesis. Look at this list. Creation is first mentioned in Genesis. Man, the woman, is first mentioned. Sin is first mentioned in Genesis. The Sabbath, marriage. You want to know about marriage, go to the book of Genesis. The family, labor. I mean, look, society we live in today, they want to take everything and twist it. But you want to know what God thinks about it? Civilization, culture, murder, sacrifice, races, language, redemption, all of those are first mentioned in the book of Genesis. It's a book of beginnings. Amazing. When you look at the character of the book, it's a historical book. There's a lot of history here, especially uh, getting into the latter part with the nation of Israel. But the subject of the book of Genesis is God's works and God's ways in restoring. Look at this. This is the grace of God, restoring the ruined uh, earth and his ways dealing with seven men in the book of Genesis. You have Adam, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph, those seven individuals. Now, there's others, but these are the major seven that, that God deals with trying to restore a ruined earth and all that is going on in the world in this particular time in the Word of God. Now, the purpose of the book of Genesis is to introduce us. This goes back to the purpose of the entire Old Testament, God's purpose and plan in redemption. God starts it right here, the first book in our Bible and I want you to see a couple of verses that will help you understand that. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, and you should know this verse, God says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. 
and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Do you know that Satan thinks, he still thinks that he's won, but Satan's a loser. This is what I do to Satan right here. He's a big time loser. Because the Bible says, look at this, the seed of the woman will bruise his head. Oh, he'll bruise his heel. But a blow to the head is a death blow. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, the devil thought, well, we're done with Jesus. Little did he know that up from the grave he arose. And see, the Bible tells us that God has a plan of redemption. Notice that the Bible says, unto Adam also and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them? Hey, folks, that's the grace of God. Remember what Adam and Eve did? God says, you can have anything you want except what's on the tree in the midst of the garden. And guess what they did? Just what human nature does. They took what they were told not to take. They disobeyed God. And because of that, listen, the wages of sin is death. The word death there, Adam and Eve did not physically die that day. They died spiritually. It was, an, it was a separation from God. Remember what God did? God cast them out of the garden. Fellowship was broken with God. That's what sin always does. Sin always separates. Your sins, your iniquities have separated you from your God. What sin does is it drives a wedge. That's what idolatry does. When we have something in our lives, and it might not be some little bitty statue, but when we have something in our life that comes between us and God, it drives a wedge between us. And God, listen, God cannot hear because we have something that we're focusing on instead of focusing Him. And He said, I will be your God and you shall be my people. So the Bible says here that God has a purpose, God has a plan in redemption. And we see that in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 4, when the fullness of time was come. I love that statement because look here. God doesn't operate on our timetable. You figured that out yet? A lot of times we want God to work now. I guarantee you, and I don't mean this in a bad way, I guarantee you that the Chen family wants God to work right now. But everything happens in God's timing. And, and I don't know exactly why God chose, when he chose, but God knows better than I do. And the Bible says, when the fullness of time was come. What happened? God sent forth his son. I, maybe in a way, God thought to himself, okay, that's enough. And God sent his son. Now look at the rest of the verse there. He sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of of sons. Whew. God says, you're now part of my family if, you, if you've come to know me as your Savior. The Bible says in Genesis 22, look at this, Abraham said, remember this story in Genesis 22, how they take the, the wood and the fire and they go up on, on Mount Moriah and, and his son Isaac, he says, if, look, he says, we've got the wood and the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And his dad says to his son, God will provide himself a lamb. He said, I don't understand it, but by faith, 
The scriptures tell us over in the book of Hebrews, I believe it is, that he was prepared to take the life of his son because he believed God could raise him from the dead. So understand, God has a plan for redemption. And Abraham told his son, he says, hey, look, God himself is going to provide a lamb for a burnt offering. The Bible says in John 1, 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold, the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus did not have a sign on him that said the Lamb of God. John was the forerunner of Jesus. And he recognized Jesus for who he was, the one to come and take away. It wasn't the blood of bulls and goats and calves. It wasn't the priest going in once every year. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. John recognized that. And we see that Beginning in Genesis chapter number 3, in the book of Genesis, God's purpose and plan in redemption. Now, I always like to do, a, a, some people like them, an outline with each book of the Bible. And I try to make them just as simple as possible, but yet meaningful. Something that maybe would give you something to navigate through. When you look at the book of Genesis, there's really two major divisions. Notice the first one is the beginning of the world. Because remember, God created everything, and we see that from chapter 1 through chapter number 11. In those chapters, we see some major things. We see in chapters 1 and 2 the creation of the world. Uh, the sixth day that God created, and then the seventh day God rested. We see the fall of man, chapters 3, 4, and 5, and how, again, they disobey God. We see the flood and how Noah was used by God, and he preached righteousness in his day, and he built this massive ark, and, and God told him to put the animals on there, and, and Noah put his family on the ark, and there was eight of them, and then God shut the door, and God flooded the earth. And then notice the last section you see is the ark came to rest, and they, we see the nations that are mentioned. The, the rebellion of the Tower of Babel, and the origin of the chosen nation, all of that in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. And then you see the second major heading, and that is the beginning of the nation of Israel. Now notice, this is from chapter 12 all the way to the end of the book, chapter 50. And if you notice the divisions, it's really dealing with the patriarchs. And see, God picks it up with Abraham. And then from Abraham to Isaac, and then to Jacob, who became Israel, and Joseph. And that's how the book is broke down, and that's a pretty good little guide for us as we study the book of Genesis. Now, again, there's so much more, but that's a basic outline behind the book. Now, the scope of the book of Genesis, it's dealing with a period that's related to man, and it covers about 2,000 or a little bit more than 2,000 years. Now, I, I want to illustrate this. Look at this chart that I that I have here, and it might help you a little bit, but if you notice the heavy, dark line that's, that's just about a third of the way over comes down, and you can see the chapters there, and that's right where you end chapter 11, and chapter number 12 begins, and then notice after the dark line at the top, you have those individuals, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and notice that period, the second half, which is chapter 12 to 50, it says it's a period of about 300 years. But notice the small section, chapters 1 to 11, it's over 2,000 years. So the bulk of this book, what it deals with with man, the creation, the fall, the flood, and the birth of the nations, 
all deals in that 2,000. So when I say it's over 2,000 years, the period, the scope of this book, a lot of times we read it, we don't think, wow, that's a long time, the book of Genesis. But we need to understand this as we study the Word of God. Now, God uses, this is the first of five, the Pentateuch, the writer is Moses. God allows Moses. Now, think about this. Moses wrote the book of Genesis. Here's a question. Got your thinking cap on? Was Moses there at creation? Well, how did he know what to write? God told him. See, this is one of the 66 books that's divinely inspired by God. It's an accurate translation of the Word of God. Moses was used by God, and who was he writing to? He was writing, get a hold of this, Israel in particular, but mankind in general. You see, listen, the Bible is for all of us. Do you know that you find something in the Old Testament for everyone as well as you find something in the New Testament for the Jews and vice versa? So God, yes, when you study the Word of God, this is a good tool to use when you study the Bible. Always look at where you're reading, what you're studying, and look to see because there's always, in the context, there's always a target audience. To whom is he talking to? To whom is he writing to? Now, we looked last year, and we looked at those books of the New Testament, and we dealt with the books that God allowed Paul to write to the churches. The churches are the saved, the saints. And so understand, there's always, many times you'll see it, like if you wrote a letter to somebody, you would see it at the beginning, just like when you wrote a letter, you might write their name at the beginning of that letter. So when you look at this book of Genesis, you find that, yes, God is writing in particular to Israel, but he's writing to mankind in general. Now, the reason I say that is because years ago when I was candidating for a church, I was sitting in the uh, room with a, a, a board of, of, there was a few deacons, a couple other men there, and they were asking me questions and wanted to know, I guess, trying to figure out if they wanted me to be the pastor of their church. And I'll be honest with you, I was trying to figure out if I wanted to be the pastor of their church. And they were asking me questions, and there was this man right next to me, I believe he was a deacon in the church, and he looked right at me and he said, uh, and I had already preached Sunday morning there, and I was uh, probably in about an hour, I was going to go preach Sunday night for the Sunday evening service. And he looked at me and he was not being uh, funny or facetious or whatever, but he says, uh, can I ask you a question? I said, absolutely. He says, what do you think of the Old Testament? I'm like, I like it. It's the Bible. I didn't really know what he was asking. I never had anybody ask me that before. I said, uh, well, I said, I, I'm kind of fond of it. I love to study it. I said, God's helped me a lot of times in passages in the Old Testament. And then I thought, well, I'm going to turn this around on this guy. So I said, well, what do you think of it? And he looked at me and he goes, I don't really care much for it. Now, there's a lot of people today, I'm being truthful, who believe that we are New Testament Christians and that the only thing that is applicable to us today is just the New Testament. And what they want to do is they want to take a knife and they want to cut their Bible in half between the Old Testament and New Testament 
And they don't want to go to the Old Testament about anything. But yet the Bible tells us that these things were written for our learning. The Bible tells me as a pastor to preach the whole counsel of God. And so, uh, I, you know what I did? I, I, again, I, I already had my message, but it, I might have been ornery even if I didn't have my message. But after that meeting, I went out there and I said, turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel. And I just preached the fire out of that Old Testament passage that night. And they never called me to be their pastor. And it was probably good that they didn't. But nonetheless, God is, look at this, these verses here. And these are some that I was just sharing with you. Romans 15, 4. The Bible says, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. See, God's given us his word. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples. Aren't you glad when somebody else makes a mistake and you can learn from their mistakes, right? And uh, you think about this. I know a lot of times, even with my children, and I got to be careful, I still have one in the room, but even with my children, I, I always try to help my children. Why? Because I've made a lot of mistakes over the way, and I don't want them to repeat the, the same thing that I did. But a lot of times, I found out as a parent, they need to just make their own mistakes and learn just like I learned. And the Bible says here they were for our examples that they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So when we look at the, this book called the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, we find that God is going to teach us many things. And I hope you've spent time. I will tell you this, every year when you have the beginning of a new year and people say, I'm going to read my Bible this year, they always begin in the book of Genesis. So this is probably, or at least the first four or five or six chapters are probably the most read in your Bible over anything else in your Bible because we always start there, but then we don't stay with it. But we need to continue to read the Word of God. Now, a couple of key, uh, key chapters that we find in the book of Genesis. Chapter 1, great chapter dealing with the creation of, of that God created everything that's in this world. And then over in chapter 12, when it begins the second division of the book of Genesis, you find that's where God calls Abraham and course, leads him from the Ur of the Chaldees and begins to do a great work through him. The key verse, I believe, is the very first uh, chapter, the very first verse. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so I just love that. In the beginning, God. Honestly, if it stopped right there, it'd be enough. Now, when you look at that verse, chapter 1, verse 1, if we really believe that verse, and I, by the way, I do, I hope you do, that God created everything that's in this world. But if we believe it, we will have very little difficulty believing all the rest of the Word of God. Because here's the thing is, listen, folks, if you think there's one discrepancy or one error in the Word of God, guess what? There can be two, and there can be three, and there can be four. And I believe that this is God's Word, and I believe it's true. It's without error, without omission. But when you look at that verse there, the verse actually, chapter 1, verse 1, it refutes all the false teachings about the origins that men have invented. I mean, maybe you're familiar with some of these. Maybe you come from some of these backgrounds. Maybe you know people that are caught up into some of these things. But there are people today who consider themselves to be atheists. And can I tell you that atheism is false because God, in fact, is a reality. There is a God. Materialism is false because matter had a beginning. God created this world out of nothing. 
pantheism is false because God was outside of his creation when he created this world. Polytheism is false because there was only one God creating this world. Now, again, understand that when you study the scriptures, we understand that our God is a triune God, but he is one God. And so we understand that polytheism is false. Evolution or devolution, it is false. Why? Because heaven and earth were created. There wasn't some big bang that happened. You know, it actually is, it takes more faith to believe in the theory of evolution than it does to believe in the word of God. And yet many people today believe those false teachings of Darwin and many others. You see, all of these false philosophies that I just stated are essentially the same. They are theories other than the true account of God's inspired word. And we see this in the word of God. We see this in the book of Genesis. The key word to the book of Genesis is beginning. I think you're starting to see a pattern here. The key phrase is in the beginning. The key thought is the book of beginnings. <laughs> if you're missing blanks, just keep writing the word beginning, all right? In Genesis, we have the beginning of everything, but watch this. We don't have the beginning of God because God has always existed. God didn't start in a manger, and God didn't start in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, there are statements about creation, the beginning of the heaven and the earth, the beginning of light, uh, the beginning of vegetation, the plant life, the beginning of life itself, especially life that relates to mankind. And all of these statements are offered in the book of Genesis. There are questions when you look. At the book of Genesis, questions concerning creation and concerning sin and prophecy and judgment, redemption, work and a day of rest, marriage in the family, childbearing, death, sacrifice, faith, obedience, the races and the nations and language and science and the arts and the Jews. All of these questions, can I tell you, when you study this one book, these 50 chapters, all of these questions are answered in a simple and rational way in the book, first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Folks, listen, we've got to read and study it. You're going to find those answers to those questions as you get into the book of Genesis. The spiritual thought of the book of Genesis, here it is. It's the book of beginnings, so what do we need to do? Begin with God. The Bible says in Luke chapter 1, for with God nothing shall be impossible. The Bible tells us in Matthew 19, 26, with, all, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. See, God can do anything. John 15 and verse 5, the last part of that verse, Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. We need the Lord, folks. And understand that as we look at this book, there are so many things that are unique to the book of Genesis. One of the things that I found, and I won't spend a lot of time, but I wanted to include it tonight as we do this overview, is this is a book of covenants. Now, when, you, when I say covenants, here's what I want you to understand is, is that God is, uh, there are two different kinds of covenants in the Word of God. There are conditional covenants and unconditional covenants. Now, remember, when God makes a covenant with man, God never breaks his promises. God keeps every promise that he has ever made. And there are covenants that I see that are unconditional. Those covenants are not based on man. They're based on God. Let me say that again. 
Those unconditional covenants are not based on man. You know why? Because if they were based on man, man is a sinner and man falls. But God's based those unconditional covenants on himself. And you know what God is? God is ever true. God is always faithful. And God keeps his word. Not one promise of God has ever fallen to the ground. And so when you look at these covenants, and listen, this is just a a little snapshot. You could get into this, spend time, but notice here these covenants that God gives in the book of Genesis. That's why, again, there's so many things here in this one book. You have what is known as the Edenic covenant. Now, again, where did God place the man and the woman? In the Garden of Eden. And so we find here this covenant, the creative covenant. I've given you the reference, and this is where God gave mankind the mandate to procreate. God says, be fruitful and multiply. And we find the the Edenic covenant here. The second one we find that kind of stems off of the Edenic covenant is the Adamic covenant. Now, I've called this one the discipline covenant because this here is the covenant because God now has to deal with man and man's sin nature. Notice that God dealing with the man and the woman, and we find that in the Word of God, the woman is in pain and travail and childbirth, and that the, uh, the, the serpent is to crawl on its belly, and uh, the man is to work by the toil of his brow, and, and the cursed is the ground, the Bible says, and death is the fate of every living being. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. See, all of that is because of the sin nature. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sin. Folks, listen, we don't have to do anything other than to be born to go to hell. But I'll tell you what we do need to do in this life is we need to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, there is this Edenic covenant. There's an, an Adamic covenant. Notice the next one. There is a Noahic covenant. This is the one with the human government covenant where God said after he destroyed the earth by a great flood that he would never do that again. And you know what man's done? Man's taken something that was very precious to God, the rainbow, and they've corrupted even that. You see, the rainbow is a symbol from God. It's not something that man can twist and pervert. And it's sad that we can't even take something that is sacred to God because if we do, we're basically saying that we're identifying with the world we live in today. But I'll tell you this, I stand with God. And I'm glad that God says, I will never again flood the earth. And we find that in that Noah covenant, how God dealt with his uh, divine judgment for the sin in the days of Noah. And then we find the fourth covenant in the book of Genesis is the Abrahamic covenant. This is the promise covenant. God promised the land to Abraham and it included a promise of the blessing that would come through Abraham. You know, a lot of times people think it's just the nation of Israel, but God says the whole world would be blessed because of Abraham. And we need to remember that and understand this, even this matter of redemption. And then notice the Palestinian uh, the, the Palestinian covenant, also the land or the territory. This was the land that God had promised to Moses. And again, I've given you all the references from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 15. And you can take the time, go back and look at those. But again, you'll find that those are covenants that God has given 
to man, and I love how God has been true to his word. And then last thing I wanted to share with you tonight that goes along with not only the book, but goes along with our theme for the year. God put this on my heart is, we're magnifying the Lord this year in our church, in our lives. Well, how is Christ magnified in the book of Genesis? Let me give you four ways, and we'll be done tonight. First of all, he's magnified as the seed of the woman. As the seed of the woman, the Bible says, in other words, from him we would receive a new birth. Uh, I shared the verse earlier, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You go over to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, and the Bible tells us, notice that she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Galatians 4, 4, we read earlier, God sent forth his son made of a woman. Jesus is the seed of the woman, and we see that here in the book of Genesis. And from him, notice, we receive a new birth. And so again, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, the Bible tells us. And so notice, not only is he magnified in the book of Genesis as the seed of the woman, but he is also magnified as the seed of Abraham. And it is through Abraham and through Jesus that we enter into a new family. See, we have a new birth, but we also have a new family. Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham, he says, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And then when you go over to the New Testament and you go to the book of Galatians, look what the Bible says, And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. And we find that Jesus is magnified in the book of Genesis as the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham. Look at this one, number three. He is magnified as Shiloh, our peace. I love this. See, by him, not only do we have a new birth and we're in a new family, but now we have a new relationship. The Bible says in Genesis 49, 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh, that is a direct reference to the Messiah, until Shiloh come and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Jesus said himself in John 16, these things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. He says, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Romans 5.1, therefore, being justified, if you're saved tonight, you've been justified by faith in Christ. And the Bible says, we who are justified have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he is magnified in the book of Genesis as Shiloh, our peace. But then notice, he is also the shepherd, the stone of Israel. I love this particular one because, listen, because of him, we have a new birth. We're in a new family. We have a new relationship, but with him, we have a new leader. Listen, I'm no longer following the world. I'm following Jesus. And the Bible tells us that he is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Look at Genesis 49 and verse 24. But his bow abode in strength and the arm arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From hence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Jesus said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd 
giveth his life for the sheep. Jesus said in Matthew 21, look at these verses. He said unto them, did ye never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder." You see, as we look at the book of Genesis, Jesus is magnified as the shepherd, the stone of Israel, and with him, what do we have? We have a new leader. See, when I think about the book of Genesis, and I know I didn't do it justice tonight, but I'll tell you what, there is so much in this book, 50 chapters. Again, you have over 2,000 years from chapter 1 to chapter number 11 that's rich in doctrine. And then you have the patriarchs from chapter 12 to chapter 50 and all the things that God did, the experiences in all of it. We see God's hand of redemption throughout the entire book. And, and this is a book of beginnings. But can I tell you, when you come to chapter 50, it kind of ends in a strange way with Joseph in a coffin in Egypt. But can I just say that if this is the first of five books of the first division of the Old Testament. Chapter 50 and the end of Genesis is not the end of the story. There's so much more. And what we need to do is continue to study beyond the book of Genesis. And listen, Moses has four more books of the law that he's going to write. And we'll pick up the next one next Sunday. And then you'll hear, as Paul Harvey said, the rest of the story. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the Word of God, for the book of Genesis, a book of beginnings. And Lord, I know that tonight was a feeble attempt to try to give an overview, but I pray that you would help us to see so many things that were mentioned tonight and beyond those things, and that we would study your Word and we would become more acquainted with it. We would see your purpose and plan God, you sent your son, and it didn't just happen on Christmas Day over 2,000 years ago. When we look in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, it was right there, even at the beginning of this book. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to magnify you. Lord, as we look through this book and the books beyond it, that we would see you in every page, in every chapter. And God, that we would share you with this world that we live in. Thank you again for your precious word and its authority that it has in our lives. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.